Well, as I mentioned, today, right after church, I'll be driving down to Los Angeles to get ready for my trip to New Zealand this upcoming week. Some of you are new here, so you may not know this, but about 10 years ago or so, Green Bible Church consolidated its missionary giving. Church used to support a bunch of missionaries with a little bit of money, you know, 10 bucks here, 50 bucks there, and not really serving them too well, and it's hard to get to know that many missionaries. So before my day, they consolidated all their missionary giving into one group, one organization, and they chose the Shepherd's Bible College in New Zealand. It's part of the Master's Academy International, and their mission is to train New Zealanders to reach New Zealand with the light of Christ. And they're starting to train pastors as well. And so we built a great relationship with them over the years. You might recall how they come. They visit us every March. They preach here every March. And I go down about every other year. This year I'll be teaching at their Impact Bible Conference, showing them our support. Conference runs from Friday to Monday. And I'm doing one of the breakout sessions. Last year they had about 1,000 people. So it's a good-sized conference. And if you remember, pray for that next weekend, next Friday through Monday. Pray for that conference that many would be impacted for Christ. The theme of the conference is evangelism. And specifically, I'll be preaching on how to overcome the fear of man in evangelism. And my plan actually for this church was this morning to continue preaching for Mark. Some of you are already smiling. Uh, And then when I get back from my trip, I was going to give you my sermon from New Zealand, because why not? Well, I decided to flip my plans. I figured, you know, why don't I get some practice? Before I go to the conference, right? There could be a lot more people there. And you were going to get this message anyway, so why not today? So that's the plan. We'll pick up Mark 15. We're very close to finishing Mark's gospel. We will finish just in a matter of weeks once I get back. But today I'm going to give you the message I'll be giving down New Zealand on evangelism, specifically how to overcome the fear of man in evangelism. And the good news is that's a universally applicable message to Christians. And let's face it, for most of you, this is something you need to hear. For most of you, this is probably what's holding you back from sharing your faith more often. I bet that most of you already know that God wants you to share your faith, to live as lights. You know that. You know that's God's will. That's not new to you. I bet you also know already the motive for evangelism. We have good news to share and a warning to give. And people could perish at any moment. So there's an urgency to our message. You already know this. You also know the message of evangelism. I'm talking about the content of the gospel itself. If you're here as a a believer, then you know at least enough to get saved. I mean, that's how you got saved. You know at least the basics of salvation. So just tell people that. Any believer can't really ever give the excuse of, "I, I don't know what to say. So you you know you should witness to others about Christ. You know at least enough to say, but do you? Do you share the gospel? When evangelism opportunities present themselves, do you find yourself more often than not shrinking away? You, You clam up, you go mute, you let the opportunity pass by. If so, what's your problem? For most of you, it's not a motivation issue, it's not a knowledge issue, it's just one issue, and that is you're scared. For most Christians, they're just scared, they're just plain old afraid. Your courage flees from you, you fear man, and so you don't say anything. This fear is multifaceted, 
Maybe in the extreme case, you fear that if you talk to someone about Jesus, they might physically hurt you. But let's face it, that, that's so rare. That's not really our fear. Usually more psychological. You fear rejection. You fear ridicule, shame, reproach, scorn, awkwardness. You fear what will happen to your relationship with your loved one if you let them know you're one of those Jesus freak people. Now, I'm not trying to guilt you. Because then I would be guilty as charged. I've had my fair share of missed opportunities. And you sit next to that stranger on the airplane or someone comes to doing some work at your house. And you get that feeling like, I probably should share the gospel with this person. But then that nervous anxiety sinks in and you start looking for excuses. And the first excuse you get, you take. Maybe the guy says, oh, he's got a little headache. You think, oh, I don't, I don't want to disturb him now. But secretly you're relieved. I've been there in the past. I think we've all been there. It's not a knowledge issue. You can know the Bible and the gospel extremely well, yet still succumb to the fear of man. There's this guy I know, and when he came to salvation, he was so on fire for the Lord. He's one of those super energetic guys. He's always talking about the faith. One of those guys you thought he's afraid of nothing. He seems so bold and just strong in the Lord. But a couple of years went by. And he came to a weak spot in his spiritual walk where his faith stumbled a bit. And he's at this social gathering with unbelievers. And there's this little teenage girl. She came up to him. And she knew from beforehand that he was a believer, a Christian. But she started to, to shame him, to mock him for following Christ, for being a Christian. And she was getting pretty nasty. And how did he respond? Well, he, he backed away. He didn't take a stand. A few others started to join in. The pressure was really mounting up on him. And eventually, he just broke down. He denied knowing Christ. He denied following Christ. He even swore he wasn't a Christian. And if you haven't gathered it by now, I'm, I'm talking about the Apostle Peter. I never said I knew him personally. I just said I know him. This was Peter's experience. He was bold in the faith. He was on fire for Christ. But you all know in a moment of weakness, he denied the Lord three times. And what brought this on? The fear of man. The fear of man. After Jesus was arrested, his self-preservation instincts kicked in. He lost sight of God. And all it took to put his faith to flight was a little girl. On that day, as we studied back in Mark, Peter, the rock, turned into a pile of sand. His witness was totally silenced and the fear of man was to blame. So you can see, this is a real problem. The fear of man can strike any believer, even the best of us, and it renders us totally ineffective as witnesses. And that's a problem because that's one of the main jobs God has given us to do. What good is a light if you cover it? What good is a a farmer who refuses to go out and cast the seed? Look, if God has to, if he wants to, he can make the rocks testify, but he has chosen to use us. Followers of Christ to testify. And if you let the fear of man silence you, not only are you deprived of the blessing of participating in God's plan of redemption, but you also find yourself outside of the will of God. So yes, we have a real problem on our hands. And I bet a lot of you have realized in your inner heart, you think that that's me, that that's really why I don't share when I should as often as I should. It's what's holding you back. You're scared. And so you wonder, can anything be done about this? Can you overcome the fear of man? And if so, how? 
Well, the good news is that by God's grace, with the power of His Spirit made clear by His Word, yes, you, you can totally overcome the fear of man. God's Word is clear and sufficient to equip you as a believer. And if you are a believer, you, you already have the power inside of you via the Holy Spirit. So there's, there's hope, there's power for change and overcoming. And today, we'll be exploring how to overcome the fear of man, specifically in evangelism. But it applies across the board. All right, so now we, we've established the problem of the fear of man. The first step is to understand the problem better. Why, why do you get so afraid? Where does this fear of man come from? Why does it limit you? Why are you so afraid and anxious to tell people the greatest news in the universe? Kind of sounds silly when you put it that way. I mean, do you believe the gospel is the greatest news in the universe? But why do we get anxious and afraid to tell people what should be good news? Well, let's find out. We'll start with this. Number one, diagnosing the fear of man. Diagnosing the fear of man. When it comes to your fear of man problem, it's all in your head. It really is. It's one of those cases where it's just a matter of your perspective. And your perspective on things has been warped. Now, the good news is this is not rocket science. This is not a complicated subject. And God's word is very clear on it. So here's, here's a very simple diagnosis of your fear of man problem. Here's your problem. You view others as too big and you view God as too small. That's pretty much it. I mean, others are too big in your life and God is too small. There's actually a great book on this titled, When People Are Big and God is Small. And although it doesn't have to do with evangelism per se, just the fear of man in general, it gets the, the problem right. It's not an oversimplification. As Christians, what should matter to us the most? What other people think about us or what God thinks about us? Okay, no brainer. Yeah, what God thinks about us. This is the new goal of our redeemed lives to glorify and please him who saved us. My favorite verse is 2 Corinthians 5, 9 says, we have it as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. So our godly ambition is to, to please him. Okay, so what does God think of our evangelism? Well, he loves it. He told us to do it. He's let us know. He wants us to be lights that shine, that testify of Christ. And when we're faithful in this, he's pleased. So we should be excited to witness. But what happens? Well, in the moment, fear creeps in because we start to worry more about what other people will think than what God thinks. What will they think of me? Will they be pleased? Will they accept me? What if they reject me? What if they ridicule me and mock me? And what if they shame me? See, all of a sudden, you're no longer concerned with trying to please God. You're concerned with trying to please others. You have elevated their thoughts and opinions way above God. And in so doing, they are functioning as your Lord. And you are basically submitting to them. They control you through fear. And when you get like this, when you are controlled by what others think about you, you're almost never going to open your mouth to share the gospel because that is not pleasing to the world. It is an offensive message. And so you're not going to offend them because you're scared. The gospel is foolishness to the world, and if you preach that, they'll think you a fool, and if all you care about is what they think, 
Well, there's the problem. So you see how part of your problem is too high a view of others. Too high a view of others. But that's not all, because your elevated view of others, it's actually tied into an elevated view of yourself. You're not only worried about what others will think of you, but you're also worried about what others will do to you if you witness. Your own self-preservation instincts start to kick in. And will they insult me? Will they ridicule me and mock me? What if they oppress me and persecute me? What if they actually turn physical and violent? The list goes on, but what's the common thread? Me. Your fear actually revolves around yourself, your elevated view of yourself. You have, without knowing it, I wouldn't say on purpose, but you've elevated yourself functionally above God in your life. What matters more is not pleasing God above all, but, but pleasing yourself. It's more important that you are pleased than God is pleased. It's more important that you are comfortable than God is pleased. It's more important that you are safe than God is pleased. It's more important that you are valued than God is pleased. Your self-image and your well-being have become more important than God's glory. And if that's your worldview, well then it's no wonder that you're not going to share the gospel and you'll stay silent. There are many biblical examples of this fear of man in action being tied into too high a view of others. We've already given an example of Peter, his fall due to the fear of man. Let me also point you to John chapter 12. I'm going to a lot of verses. I'm going to go fast. So if you're fast, you can flip along in your Bible. Otherwise, you can listen. John 12:42 and 43 says this. It says, Nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in him, Jesus, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. Well, so some of the religious leaders of Israel, they actually did believe that Jesus was the Christ. But they wouldn't openly confess this. Why? For fear of the Pharisees, they controlled the synagogues and they had declared that if anyone confesses Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, you are to be excommunicated from the synagogues. And back then, that came with shame. You were a social outcast if you were excommunicated from the synagogue. And these men, their fear of rejection eclipsed their desire to be approved by God. And so they didn't confess Christ. They stayed silent. And verse 43 takes us to the heart of the matter. For, it says, they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. There you have it. It's not complicated. Too high a view of others and too low a view of God. And when this happens, other people become your functional God. You desire their respect, their admiration, their acceptance, so you bow to their whims. You fear being rejected by them, and that controls you. And they basically dictate how you think and feel, what you say, what you do. In essence, you bow to them as those with godlike power over you to judge you, to reject you, to scorn you, or to accept you, to value you and esteem you. And being desperate for their acceptance... You're not going to say anything to offend them. And again, that includes the gospel. And so that's our problem. This is why we have this problem. The problem is not fear itself, 
Fear at times can keep us alive. The problem is when fearing others, you forget God and you disobey God. God shrinks and becomes so small, it's like he's not there. He's not in control. He's not sovereign. And others, you, you make them into giants, scary giants, and the fear of them controls you. But I have to tell you, when you get like this, your fear is really misplaced. Do you all know what's really scary? Let me tell you, if you let the fear of man silence you, thereby, in effect, denying the Lord, what do you make of a verse like this? Mark chapter 8, verse 38. Jesus said, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. What do you have to say about that? That's convicting to all of us. And that's the real fear. We need to fear God more. And hopefully you can see how that is the path to overcoming the fear of man. I think, I think we've explored the, the problem of the fear of man enough. Again, it's, it's not complex. So let's now turn and start to get into the, the solution. Number one, diagnosing the fear of man. Let's go number two, overcoming the fear of man. Overcoming the fear of man. So the problem with most Christians, they're often silenced in evangelism because they view people as too big and God as too small. And that leads to a fear of man which silences them. But the solution to this, it should be obvious. You need to deflate your view of man and see God for who he really is. You need to make God supreme, absolutely supreme in your life and in your thinking because he is absolutely supreme. This will lead not to the fear of man, but to the fear of God. And that's the fear you need to let control you. Again, I said this is all a perspective issue, and maybe you're out of tune. If you have a hunting rifle and the scope isn't sighted in, you'll never hit your target. You will always be off. You will miss every time. And maybe you likewise need some recalibration to see things rightly. Well, this is one of the functions of God's word. It corrects us. It challenges us. It straightens us out so that we see things according to the truth, according to God and who he is. And if you really believe scripture, and if you turn to scripture and let it correct your thinking, then the fear of man will have few places to hide in your life. So your problem is that people are too big. God is too small. So you fix that by reflecting on just how big, how supreme God is. You start with God's power. I love the end of Job for this. In the final chapters of Job, God shows up and speaks with Job. But all he does is ask Job questions, just putting Job in his place. Basically, God declaring to him, you are just a puny little speck of dust. And look how supreme this God is that Job was questioning. And so, for example, Job 38, 4, God says to him, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. It's like, where were you when God created the heavens and the earth? And that question alone already makes us incredibly insignificant. With just a word, God spoke everything we see into existence. Now, that's unimaginable power. 
Think of the trillions and the trillions of stars we don't even know about. And he created them all in just a blink of an eye. Yet God is greater still. You can read more of Job, many scriptures. And you quickly learn, you read the Bible, we serve a big God. He's not a small God, but a big God. He's almighty, he's all-powerful, and he's holy. Consider the fierce holiness and justice of God. He dwells in unapproachable light. And for those who offend his holiness and sin against him, there awaits nothing but, Hebrews 10.27 says, the terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Now that's the real fear, right? That's the real scary part. God has wrath. Remember what Jesus himself said. This is from Jesus. Luke Luke chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. Jesus said, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, there's no more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So look, forget man. You should fear that. What can man do? Kill your body? That's big deal. God has the authority to sentence a person to hell forever. That's the fear. You have a perfectly holy God who must judge sin. And he's all powerful, so you have no hope of escaping that judgment on your own. That's terrifying because we're all sinners. That We've all offended his holiness, which is why Hebrews 10 verse 31 says, it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, there's good news here. There's good news, namely that as believers in Christ, we've been delivered from the penalty of sin and the fear of God's wrath. This God, he's also a loving God. So much so that he gave his own son to die in our place and to suffer that wrath for us. We talk about love. And by faith in him, we can be made righteous and delivered and forgiven and and saved. And we can enter into this God's presence that there can be eternal life. That's great news. That's, That's the great news we're trying to share with people, right? And this great news delivers us from the terrifying fear of God's wrath. Believers should never fear God's wrath or God's judgment. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. If you're truly in Christ, you're free from that fear, Romans 8.1. Because we've been redeemed, we've passed out of death and into life. But that doesn't mean you're free from all fear. We don't have to fear God's wrath. But for those redeemed in Christ, it leads to a higher fear. A greater fear, something which the Bible calls the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? We can put it this way. A reverential respect leading to worshipful obedience. It's kind of a mouthful, but I like it. A reverential respect leading to worshipful obedience. This is where you see God for who he is. And that right there leaves you in awe and wonder. But then you you add in God's love and his redemption, how he saved you through the sacrifice of his son Christ. And that creates an even greater sense 
of reverence in our hearts. Indeed, as God gives us new hearts through the new birth, the result is that we fear him more, not terror and dread. We don't, but in the sense of revering him. And the outcome of that, it's a willful, worshipful obedience. It's our desire, now it's our joy to obey this God, to walk in his ways. Not because we're scared we're going to go to hell if we don't. It has nothing to do with it for those in Christ, but simply because he's worthy, he's supreme, and all of his ways are good. So let God's word give you the right perspective and change how you think about things. This is a problem of your thinking. It's all about perspective. You think man is big. You know, a man could basically fit into the foot of an elephant. An elephant could basically fit into the mouth of a blue whale. It's all about perspective. What's big? What's small? Well, God is big. And you need to get that right in your mind to overcome the fear of man. Live to please the supreme God and you'll find yourself emboldened to witness. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4 says, Just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. We have been entrusted by God with this message. This is how he sees fit to bring people into his church, to share this message. We've been entrusted by him to speak and says, so we speak. Why? Not to please man. It's not pleasing to man. It confronts man. But we do this to please God who knows our hearts. Let this control you. Let God's delight be the controlling element in your life. And by the way, is it any wonder that Jesus had zero fear of man? He had not an ounce of the fear of man. Even his enemies recognize that he defers to no one. He had lots of enemies. Herod, Pilate, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees. And they were trying to kill him. They did kill him. But even then, he didn't fear them for a second. Why not? Because Jesus had a perfect view of God and a perfect trust in God. So what's there to fear? What are you afraid of? Even in our suffering, Jesus shows us God is still supreme. He's still sovereign. He's still good. So what's there to fear? Psalm 118 verse 6 says, The Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? If you're in Christ, the Lord, he's for you. He's, he's, He's in your corner. He's got your back. He's for you. So what are you afraid of? Speaking of this, where he says, what can man do to me? The flip side of overcoming the fear of man is shrinking your view of man. God must become big. Man must become small. A hot air balloon appears to be this massive object. Until you realize it's mostly filled with hot air. And when you take out the hot air, you realize it's actually rather weak and fragile and small. And likewise, you need to deflate your view of others. You don't live for them. You don't even live for yourself, but for God. You get that straight, you'll be fine. And further, try replacing your fear of others with a biblical love of others. This is actually a love issue. Do you really believe, this challenges you, do you really believe that those who don't know Christ 
They're lost, and if they die, they will perish in hell, like Jesus himself said. Do you really believe that? And if you do, what is the most loving thing you can do for them? Share the gospel. Give them the words of life. Throw them a life preserver. If you see someone drowning, and you have a life preserver in your hands, and they're right there, they're drowning, and you don't throw it to them. That's hatred. That's not love. That's malice. You can't control whether or not they take the life preserver. They may say, I don't want your dumb life preserver and cast it aside. But we are, are we not bound by love to those we see encounter drowning to, to throw them the life preserver? You need to let a love for God and others control you. The fear of the Lord is the remedy to all other fears. The one who fears God will fear nothing else. You have to reprogram your mind with a higher view of God, a lower view of others. It doesn't mean we hate others. In fact, we love them more. We love them enough to actually do the hard thing and share with them. You fear God, you trust him, and you will be on the path to overcoming the fear of man. So that is the basic answer to how to overcome the fear of man in evangelism. But we're not quite done. I want to finish our time by giving you some actual implementation. In other words, I want to suggest to you some actual ways you can implement the solution to the fear of man in your life. So you could call these you know, action items, things you can literally do, and in so doing, you will find yourself with a higher view of God, a lower view of others, and emboldened to share. So we'll finish with this. Number three, implementing the fear of God. Implementing the fear of of God. And let me suggest four practical ways to instill the fear of God in your life so that you can overcome the fear of man in evangelism. There's four practical ways to instill the fear of God in your life. Number one, evaluate your salvation. Evaluate your salvation. Now be listen carefully here. I am not at all saying that if you struggle with the fear of man, you're not saved. Not saying that at all. I mean, we all struggle at times, weak in the flesh. But what I am saying is you have no hope of overcoming if you are not born again. And when God saves you, he gives you power, and you should expect to overcome. But if that boldness never comes out, if you never witness, you never testify, you consistently deny Jesus by your silence, if you're ashamed of the gospel, this has to be your step one. Evaluate your salvation. Look, that's something God calls all believers to do all the time anyway. It shouldn't be that big of a deal. Second Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 says, Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. So we're, we're called to ask ourselves all the time, do, do I truly believe in the gospel? And have I been made new? Do I see evidences? of a new life and a new heart, new direction, new desires. You're not going to see perfection. We know that. But you should see something because when God saves you through that gospel, he makes you new. You will be different with a different desire, a different heart. And think back to our friend Peter. He hit a low point. He denied the Lord three times. But Jesus came later. He restored him. And after Jesus ascended, you remember the Holy Spirit came down on them and after that point, what happened to Peter? He was transformed. He was a lamb, 
Now he's a lion. He goes from being scared and hiding to preaching boldly the gospel to many of the same people who killed Jesus. And on that day, it says 3,000 were saved. Where did that come from? How did Peter overcome his fear of man? Just a few weeks before, he was so weak and scared. What what happened? Well, the answer is the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, which is something we now receive at salvation. Another great example of this is found in John chapter 9. That's when Jesus heals a man who is born blind. Remember that? But it happened on a Sabbath, so the Pharisees get all upset. So they call this man's parents in before them. They want to see, you know, is he really blind from birth? But his parents, they, they go tight-lipped. They, they don't want to say anything. They're scared. Verse 22 in John 9 says, They were afraid of the Jews because anyone who confessed Jesus as the Christ was, again, same thing, being put out of the synagogue. His parents were still controlled by a high view of man, so they feared man. So his parents refused to testify of Jesus, who just healed their blind son. Think about that. But then they bring the man in, the blind man, who now can see, and he's changed. He's new, and he believes. He believes that Jesus is the Christ. And as they question him, he boldly testifies. He can sense their opposition and their enmity, but he doesn't care. He even invites them to believe. Now, it doesn't work. And they eventually kick him out of the synagogue. But what boldness. You ask, where did this come from? It came from his new life. And that new life gave him boldness where he basically could say, I don't don't care. You can kick me out of your synagogue. You can mock me. You can scorn me and revile me. I'm going to stick with that guy who opened my blind eyes. I'm with him. And you're not going to stop me from testifying that once I was blind now I can see. That has to be you. That that's your only way. You have to consider your salvation. Reflect on your salvation. Remember your salvation, what the Lord did for you. That gives you the highest view of God. And as you remember how Jesus opened your blind eyes and drew you to himself, God will give you boldness to witness unto him. Number two. Remember the cost of discipleship. Number one, evaluate your salvation. Number two, remember the cost of discipleship. These are some practical ways to overcome the fear of man. People often get scared when something unexpected happens. All it takes is someone jumping around the corner at you to scare you. But if you knew they were there, hiding, you wouldn't be scared. When you know something is coming, it helps mitigate the fear. People, when they're flying, they always get scared by turbulence But not pilots. Pilots, they know it's coming. It's part of the flight path. It's supposed to be there. It's not a big deal. Having the right expectations can really mitigate fear. The same goes with the Christian life. Having the right expectations can go a long way in reducing the fear of man and evangelism. What do you expect the Christian life will bring you? A lot of people today expect following Christ to bring them a life of health and wealth and happiness. Being a Christian, that's the ticket to a nice, prosperous life. But God has not promised you your best life now. He's promised you your best life later in heaven. That will be your best life. 
But when such Christians find out the hard way about that reality, well, what happens? Well, their expectations are unmet and it can shipwreck their faith. Rather, the Bible tells us what to really expect. You sign up, you follow Christ, you believe in him as a Christian. What should you expect now for your rest of your Christian life? Well, you need to remember the cost of discipleship. And a great passage for this is Matthew 10. It really lays it out and brings together a lot of what we've been studying. Matthew 10 is a key passage where Jesus teaches on the meaning and the cost of discipleship. He just got finished telling his disciples at this point, He said to them, you will be hated by all because of my name. Oh, that's nice. Thanks. Thanks for that. You will be hated by all because of my name. He said a disciple is not above his teacher, a slave not greater than his master. That's how they treated Jesus, right? Because of the light, because of the truth. So basically he says, they're going to do that to you too. What do you expect? And then he says this, Matthew 10, 26. But he says, therefore, do not fear them. For there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim on the housetops. First, he appeals basically to the omniscience of God. It's like, yes, you'll be hated, but don't fear them. God, he sees everything. He sees them. He sees their wicked deeds. They'll be judged. You, you don't fear. You just keep doing what? Speaking. Keep speaking. Verse 28. He says, do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Next, Jesus appeals to the power of God as another reason not to fear them. We already talked about this. When you put God in perspective, the fear of man is silly. It's like you're standing in front of a lion, but you're scared of some kittens over here. Verse 29, he says, Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So, do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Now Jesus appeals to the care of God for his reason as to why you should not fear. God is so big that he has all the hairs on your head numbered. Now, that's just insane to think about, but that's how big God is, and rest assured that this God cares for you. So, what are you afraid of? This God is with you, so be bold. Verse 32, he says, Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. You can see now how this confession functions as a test of faith. You will be hated by all because of his name. But will you still confess him? Only if you truly believe. And that's what separates the true from the false. And speaking of division, he says in verse 34, just continuing. He says, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. This is Jesus talking. He says, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. On the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter in law against her mother in law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. 
And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. These are staggering words. But do you see the contrast that Jesus is setting up between how you view and value others versus how you view and value God? And God's not saying you can't love your family members, but again, God and Christ must be supreme in your life if you're a disciple. That's what it means. He has to be way on top where you live for him, you are controlled by him. This means you desire way more to please God than to please your spouse, your kids, your parents, certainly your enemies. Again, it's not that we neglect our family, but if there's any conflict of interest, we're going to do what God says. We're going to side with God. We're going to do that which is pleasing to him. And there will be conflict, especially if you have unbelieving family members. This is what he means when he says, I came to bring a sword. The gospel divides. Because if you are called into the light, the darkness hates the light. They're going to now start to hate you. Like he said, you will be hated just like they hated him. But will you bear this hatred for the sake of Christ, even among your family members? It just matters. Well, who do you love more? doesn't mean we, we hate them, but we just we love Christ more. This is the test of discipleship, and this is the true cost of discipleship. And finally, he says in verse 38, And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. He who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Here's the final, the ultimate cost of discipleship, of following Jesus. And what is the ultimate cost? It is death to self. Do you see how Jesus, in this, in this speech, he first deflated your high view of others and he puffed up God as a reason why you shouldn't fear them. And here, finally, he's now deflating your view of self. Everything we've been saying, it's not about you. This life, your life, it's not about you. Especially if you've been redeemed by Christ, it's really not about you. It's about him. Sorry to burst your self-esteem ego bubble there, but if you've been bought with a price, he says, glorify God with your body. He's yours now, or rather, you are his. Now, that's a good thing. That's actually the best thing. I don't want to be anywhere else but owned by him. But do you embrace this? Do you willingly accept this? That to truly follow Jesus, you have to deny self. Jesus calls you on the path of self-denial. This is radical discipleship. But you know, it's the only type of discipleship that's worthy of Christ, like he said, that pleases him. And this is the only type of discipleship that has any chance of overcoming the fear of man. So secondly, remember the cost of discipleship and embrace it. Reflect on your calling and choosing and you'll find God again emboldening you to share. Well, a couple more. They're really quick. We'll finish up. Number three, read and pray. Read and pray. I keep saying this is all a perspective issue. It's all in your mind and your thinking, but you need to readjust your, your thinking to be in line with God's word. Even as mature believers, as, as they walk in the world, we, we get out of alignment. We get out of adjustment. It's so easy to forget God. He shrinks again. Other people become big. We, we start to forget. That's why we need to be constantly anchored in the word. 
That the word is like our spiritual chiropractor. It straightens us out, keeps us straight, and we need adjustments. As often as we walk in the world, we need adjustments all the time. This is one of the functions of the word. It reminds us who God is, what he's done. It keeps us, it keeps him big before us. And that's what we need. Same for prayer. We need to pray for boldness. We're not looking for natural power, but God's power to overcome the fear of man. So we have to pray for that. Even Paul was not above praying for boldness and evangelism. Ephesians 6.19, he says, Pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. He says, so that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Even Paul, the seemingly fearless Paul, he solicited prayer to share the gospel with boldness. Why does he need that prayer? This can happen. Anyone can succumb to the fear of man. We likewise need to seek the Lord for his strength to live as lights, to walk by his spirit. Anyone who neglects their salvation, who fails to walk by the Spirit, which is part and parcel with reading, with praying, with being in tune with God's mind, you're going to grow weak and feeble. You're going to get out of alignment. God will shrink. Others will puff up. And it's no wonder then you will be silenced in your witness. At that point, even a little girl can put your faith to flight. Speaking of Peter, did you know that he fell again later in life? Later in his life, he once again succumbed to the fear of man. Galatians 2 records how Peter got comfortable. The fear of man crept back in his life. This time he feared a group of Jewish Christians. He wanted to be accepted by them. He wanted to please them. So that led Peter to neglect and discriminate against Gentile Christians, which is contrary to the gospel. So Paul had to rebuke him on this. And just listen, even mature, strong believers are susceptible. Anyone who diligently, or rather fails to diligently walk by the Spirit can fall back into old ways. So be diligent. Pray, read, seek the Lord, and he will make you strong. And then finally, to finish, we'll just say this, number four, <clears throat> step out in obedience. Step out in obedience. I'll just say here, just do it. The Nike slogan we all know. Just just do it. Yeah, you're a little scared. So what? Evangelize anyway. Just tell them anyway. The fear of man is only really problematic when it keeps you from obeying God, when it silences you. That feeling of fear may not entirely go away. I'm sure that when the apostles were being beaten and arrested for preaching Christ, I'm sure their emotions were screaming out with fear, but they didn't listen to that fear. They let the fear of God control them. And so they said with boldness, we must obey God rather than men. We can't stop speaking about Jesus. So if you're still a little bit scared, so what? Just do it anyway. Witness anyway. Take a step of faith and obedience. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord, it's the end of the fear of man. If you struggle with fearing others, the solution, the path to overcoming is actually very simple. Make God supreme in your life, in your heart, in your mind. And continually walk by the Spirit. God's already given you everything you need to boldly walk and witness for Him. So just seek Him. Well, we've picked on Peter so much this morning, I guess we'll give him the last word. He learned his lessons amidst all those failures. And later in life, he encourages us 
with this word. We'll close with this. First Peter 3, 13 and 14. He reminds us yet again and says, Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. Do not fear their intimidation. Do not be troubled. Let's pray. Our great God in heaven, that is, that is what you are, our great God in heaven. You are high, you are lifted up, you are holy threefold, you are supreme. And we need to see that and know that and never forget that. That is the cure to so many of our ills. We just lose sight of you, your sovereignty, your goodness, your love, your justice, your power. Remind us daily in the word, we need adjustments, Lord, to see you. And as we see you, that the fear of others will shrink more and more and more. And that will open our mouths, that will let loose our lips to boldly declare a big God, how this big God is just and angry at sin, yet so loving that he gave his own son to die to redeem. This is good news. This is great news that we have, we cherish. We pray now we can pair this with boldness to to speak it. You left us behind for that reason. We are here for that reason, to witness, to live as lights. So as we behold your supremacy, may you dwell in our hearts and give us the boldness we need to witness and overcome the fear of man. We thank you, Lord, for this truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.